Today's passage is from Proverbs 23, 1 through 8, and 17 through 21. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Ah, gotta love Proverbs. Well, good morning, Christ Community. I'm Jordan Green, uh, part of the pastoral team here at our Leewood campus of Christ Community Church. That's a pleasure to be with you and to continue our series on vices and virtues. If you've been with us these past few weeks, uh, we've been looking at the scriptures to help us understand vices and virtues. And each week, uh, we've started with the vice, this habit in our life which leads to the path of destruction, and seeking to replace it with the virtue that leads us into Christ-likeness and the way of true life. And this week brings us to the vice of gluttony. And who doesn't love food? (laughs) I mean, half of you only came here today in order to get a donut hole, right? (laughs) Just put that up front here. (laughs) But one of the clearest indicators that we love food is because this guy is still in business. My favorite dessert is cake. Cake's a true symbol of gluttony, though. If you eat a whole pizza, people are like, wow, you were hungry. But if you eat a whole cake, people are like, you got a problem. Addicted to cake. Because everyone knows cake's bad for us. Sometimes you try and disguise the fact we're eating cake. It's breakfast, I can't have cake. I'll have a muffin. (laughs) Jim Gaffigan. I mean, he even wrote a book called Food, A Love Story. It's a little bit like this. Some of you may have read it. But Gaffigan claims that his whole comedic persona is that of a guy who explores our instinctual impulses. He says this, he says, I romanticize gluttony, I romanticize laziness, and people identify with that. And we do, don't we? (laughs) Gaffigan shows us the ridiculous nature of our food love. I mean, how many images are there of food on Facebook or Instagram? or TV shows all around food, even the rise of foodie as an identifying marker of ourselves. (laughs) In addition to this, we have the negative sides, right? We have the rise of obesity, type 2 diabetes, alcohol abuse, eating disorders, heart disease, and we're constantly trying old diets, new diets, fad diets, anything with the word diet in it. And from all of this, two things seem to be clear. First, we live in a culture that's obsessed with food we have a food problem. But second, we almost never equate that food issue with sin. I mean, how is it one of the seven deadly sins? There's only seven, and gluttony made the list. 
We think, yeah, I know that my eating poorly leads to a host of health issues. I might destroy my body, but it doesn't destroy my soul. So as we explore gluttony, let's turn again to our passage for this morning. Proverbs 23, 1 through 3. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies for they are deceptive food. Such a vivid picture. But did you catch the main idea here? The writer is saying it's better to put a knife to your throat than being driven by your appetites. Because being driven by our appetites is the way that leads to death and destruction. And the whole book of Proverbs is structured like this. There is a way that leads to death and destruction, a vice, and there is a way that leads to life, virtue. And it takes wisdom for us to know how to walk that line, how to walk that difficult path. And, and on the surface, each of these vices that we've been discussing uh, these past several weeks look behaviorally different, don't they? And, and maybe you've identified more or less with some of them. You know, maybe envy didn't really relate to you, but anger really hit at home. But Timothy Keller has this, uh, has this illustration, and he says that vices are like looking into a black diamond. It's multifaceted, and each of the vices give us a different facet, but they each show us the same dark heart. Because that's how vice works, isn't it? It infects and influences the desires of our heart and leads us down crooked paths. And these vices can feel repetitive. Maybe you've also felt that these few weeks. But it's an exploration into the different facets of our heart as we attempt to orient our heart after the things of God. Because gluttony affects our hearts. It disorders our desires. And that's why it's deadly. Gluttony affects our hearts so that good things become cravings. And of course, we all crave something, right? We all seek to be satisfied. But gluttony places our stomach over our heart. This craving is the overindulgent pursuit of pleasure above all else so that the pleasure of things drives us. And this craving, it overcomes our reason, our understanding, and our judgments. And this means that gluttony isn't just for those on the heavier side. Because it's not exactly about what food does to you, make you heavier or skinnier, but rather about what we do to food when we place it above all else. Now, of course, we can talk about gluttony in a variety of ways, right? And maybe for you, uh, and definitely for me, it's television, right? I mean, we, we binge watch Netflix. We even use food language around it. Uh, but maybe we overindulge on experiences or we gorge ourselves on Facebook or Twitter or video games or something like that. A variety of things, but this morning, I want us to focus on food and drink because this is the traditional form of gluttony. And as it's often recognized, our ability to control our eating habits usually reflects our ability to control other cravings in life. Of course, this isn't always the case. I get that. But we might think of, we might think of, of controlling our eating habits like the essential training ground that prepares us for other areas of life. So we want to focus on food this morning with three main concepts. The first of which is that food is more than fuel. In fact, food is good. I mean, it's really good, right? <laughs> 
Because it could have been otherwise, couldn't it? Now, if you've watched the, science, the futuristic science fiction shows that I have, which I know most of you have, uh, you know that in the future, they say, food will be a, a tasteless pill, right? Uh, it'll be uh, just some gray blob, utilitarian, basic nutrients, quick and fast, so we can get on to the next thing. And, and God could have made food that way, right? Just fuel, no enjoyment, no pleasure, just some bland goo or something. Yet we are all thankful that he didn't because food is delicious, amen? <laughs> food and drink is good, are good. It's more than simply fuel. It's delicious because God meant it to be. And I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, right? I mean, you just add food or drink to anything and you make it better. Maybe you have an upcoming work party that you don't really want to go to, but then you hear their catering Q39 and you think, well, I should go say hello. (laughs) They might need me. During our saddest times in life, we add food. During our happiest times, we bring food. Food makes things better. That's why we add it to weddings, graduations, and really any gathering of people. We're more likely to think that Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there also is a bucket of wings. (laughs) But food has this way of bringing us together, of breaking down barriers. You know, when, uh, when my family, my wife and daughter and I moved here from Chicago uh, about a year ago, uh, you know, we, we weren't too sure about all of you, you know. And Andrew, we liked well enough, but the rest of you, we were kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know, give or take. Um, <laughs> but many of you invited us into your home, and we ate together. You welcomed us, <laughs> and we know you better now. In fact, you made us part of your community by inviting us to dinner, and we are so thankful, so welcomed. Because here's the thing, this is the way God created it to be. In the beginning, we read Genesis 1.29, God says, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. It was good. And throughout Israel's journey, we have a God who is providing bread in the desert and promising a land of milk and honey. In fact, half of the Jewish, uh, the Jewish sacrificial system is about feasting. You, you go to the altar, uh, you sacrifice your animal, and you take home meat to feed your friends and family. Thus, priests were the first butchers. And when you read the prophets like Amos, you have this picture of God's promise of overabundant blessing of food and wine. In fact, so much abundance that you won't even be able to finish eating and drinking before the next time it is to harvest. So much a blessing through food. And even when we look at the life of Jesus, we find someone who miraculously provides wine and bread. He's always open to eat at your house. That's how I see myself imitating Jesus. And at times, people even accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard himself. From the beginning, food is good. And at the end of all things, we are invited to the wedding feast to end all feasts. Thus, the Bible is bookended, the beginning and the end, with lots of food. Food and drink are good. And yet, that's what makes them so dangerous. Because what happens when the craving for the pleasure of food outweighs all else? You see, it's then that food turns to ash in your mouth and leads you down the path of destruction. 
You see, gluttony takes what is made good and makes it a craving. Something that overpowers our reason, our decisions, and essentially drives our life. Since uh, Rebecca Young has really been guiding us in this series, and and I hope that you're not too tired of hearing from her, uh, it wouldn't be right without quoting her. She puts it this way. The glutton eats for himself, and his mission is to gratify his own appetites. His mission is pleasure first, and he orders the rest of his life around that goal. His God is his belly, and he serves it faithfully. So while food and drink are good, it can never fill you. Food can never fill you. It will never satisfy what we long for. Frederick Buckner describes it like this. He says, A glutton is one who raids the icebox for a cure for spiritual malnutrition. A glutton stuffs their face but starves their heart. And I know you might think, Jordan, that's a bit dramatic, right? (laughs) There's no way I do that. I like food, but you make it seem more like food worship. But that's what worship is, isn't it? Orienting our life and our desires around something, giving glory to something, I mean, how many of us eat or drink when we're sad or when we're lonely? It's called comfort food for a reason, right? We find comfort in it. How many of us order our day around what we're going to eat? How many of us have, in fact, written our grocery list during a Sunday morning sermon? Especially when Andrew's preaching. He's on. <laughs> Hashtag sabbatical. You see, gluttony has less to do with how much you eat and more to do with the way your world revolves around the pleasure you gain from eating and drinking. So the thinnest among us could be the most gluttonous. And maybe this has happened to you, uh, because it's definitely happened to me, uh, but you find yourself sitting there and you're eating a bag of Cheetos, per usual, and all of a sudden you've eaten a whole bag. Uh, First you feel sick, uh, then you feel guilty, uh, and then you put your shoes on and you go run three miles. Now, working out is good. Uh, Working out in order to make your body feel better, that's good as well. But what I worry about for myself and what I wonder about is, is how many of us might run or work out, not so much for health, but to try to cure the outward effects of a gluttonous lifestyle. I mean, this is a classic indication of what we call a therapeutic culture, right? We don't try to change our destructive habits into healthy ones. But rather, we want to counter the ill effects of our bad habits. But instead, we need virtue. We need the habits that produce life, not the habits that produce death. And this is the warning we're given in Proverbs. So let's look again here at Proverbs 23, 19 through 21, where the writer says, Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Yes, gluttony and drunkenness can lead us to a place of poverty and rags. It can ruin our physical health, but more than that, it turns our heart away from the way of wisdom and the path of life. So how might this appear in our lives? Theologians from the the Middle Ages, they separated gluttony out into various categories in order to help us actually diagnose ourselves. Uh, Today, we we use them, we describe them with the acronym FRESH, uh, the abbreviation FRESH. 
uh, which is ironic, but uh, fastidiously, ravenously, excessively, sumptuously, and hastily. Now, of course, eating this way doesn't mean that you're a glutton if you do it, but they are really beneficial diagnostics to help us see the own gluttony of our heart. So let's go through these a little bit. We have fastidiously. Uh, this is the, that ultra picky or snooty eater. Uh, they may not eat a lot, but what they eat has to be perfect. Uh, this is like, it's like the Starbucks order. That's the grande chai tea latte, three pump, skim milk, light water, no from extra hot. And then they hand it back because you didn't use light water. Um, I don't know what that means. I just found it on Facebook, or Facebook right? Yeah, uh, found it on the internet. <laughs> I don't know what light water is. Um, there, there's nothing wrong with being a little picky or eating healthy, but sometimes we should maybe just eat what's offered to us. The next one is ravenously, eating without regard for anyone else, the biggest portion, stay out of this person's way at the buffet, <laughs> or, or excessively. And this is how most of us think of gluttony, right? Just eating too much all the time, nonstop eating. And then there's sumptuously, uh, so you may not overeat, but you work hard to eat only the best, the most satisfying parts. You're obsessed with that feeling of fullness after a meal. And then hastily, essentially just hand me a shovel. <sighs> These are ways that we ask food to fill us, but it can never satisfy. And if we try to make it fill us, in the end, it will consume us. Do you guys remember uh, that part in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia where the queen gives Edmund the Turkish delights, uh, where Edmund is stuffing his face and spilling his family's secrets? Uh, around that moment, Lewis writes, he says, it was enchanted Turkish delight and that anyone who had once tasted it would want more and more of it and would even, if they were allowed, go on eating it till they killed themselves. Now, that's a children's book. <laughs> but it illustrates an important point, doesn't it? When we are driven by our appetites for things, it becomes our God. It controls our reason, our understanding, and our choices. And in the end, it consumes us. Thus, Paul in Philippians 3 builds on Proverbs so that we might follow in the way of God and not our appetites. He says to them, he says, brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our stomach does not have to be our God because there's hope. And this leads to our third concept this morning, that food can be redeemed. Of course, this requires a work of God, right? As we read together in Psalm 139 uh, during worship, we pray that God would search our heart, reveal the gluttonous ways, and would lead us in the way everlasting, into virtue. Food can be redeemed through the virtue of temperance, self-control, moderation, uh, this means not being given over to our cravings or our appetites, but not disregarding them either. You might think of it like the Goldilocks zone, right? Not too hot, not too cold, but just right. Where the goodness of good things are enjoyed, but not worshipped. So one way that we can build the virtue of temperance in our lives 
is to pursue contentment with daily bread, to seek less, to learn to say no. Because we almost never deny ourselves pleasures, do we? Uh, If it's good and I can have it, then why not? But if we never deny ourselves, we can never be content either. In fact, saying no actually helps us enjoy what we do have. Saying no to food reminds us that we are wholly dependent on God. And if we always fill up on food, we can easily think that we have no need of God, that we are wholly independent with a false sense of self-autonomy and self-sufficiency. And so one of the oldest disciplines in this fight against gluttony is fasting, the act of saying no to food in order to depend on Christ, to see what's in our heart. And in our time, we have almost everything we need, right? And it's easy to forget. But fasting decreases our craving for food, decreases the false hope in food satisfaction, and it increases our craving in God. And Jesus alludes to this, right, in Matthew 4.4, something we're probably familiar with, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We depend on God for life not food. And fasting trains us in this way. So here's an easy next step, right? If anyone wants to join me, uh, let's fast one day this coming week. I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to fast, but would love for you to do that. Or or maybe start easy by skipping breakfast and lunch. And I know some of you uh, may actually not be able to fast a whole day uh, because of health issues. So so then choose something non-food related to fast from. Or maybe for a day or two, just eat the bare minimum that you can. And every time that we feel this gnawing desire to eat, or when it makes you tired or agitated, because it will, um, let's thank God for for our sustenance, for our strength, and our satisfaction. And when you end your fast, notice how even the lowest foods, vegetables, taste so good. Because fasting creates a contentment with simple pleasures, so we are not tempted toward unquenchable cravings. And then a second way, to build the virtue of temperance is to delight in community and celebration. I mean, this is what food was meant for in the first place. Because eating is a social action. And we put food back in its proper place when it's meant to serve the purposes of celebration and community. You see, because temperance, it's not just about learning how to say no, it's about learning how to say yes in the right way. And in our fast food society, uh, where family dinners are subverted by our busy schedules or a TV tray, uh, this purpose of food has become a lost art. And yet, Eating together and drinking together is one of the first and most important practices of the family. Leonardo Boff, a Brazilian theologian with an amazing name, says that table fellowship, table fellowship is one of the most ancient signs of human intimacy, since the relationships that sustain the family are built and rebuilt continuously through it. And modern research continues, continues to consistently say that one of the most important things that you can do for your kids is to share dinner together on a regular basis. So an easy next step, right? Regularly eat together as a family. And, and married couples, eating together, having a date night uh, without your cell phone, uh, is, it's one of the best practices to create a healthy marriage. 
If you're not married, eat with other people. Uh, Share in that community together. Because eating together is a type of liturgy. This is an old word. Uh, But coming together to pray, to have conversation, to eat, laugh, and enjoy God's provision, it's a regular practice that builds intimacy, forms how we think, how we see the world, and essentially how we love. And that's the essence of liturgy. The regular practices in our lives that affect the affections of our heart. And this practice extends beyond the family, right? By creating the larger family, by creating community. Gluttony, you see, is this, it's a selfish desire for pleasure that in the end isolates you from others and leaves you lonely. It's this craving that turns us inward, but the true purposes of food are outward. It's for the benefit of the creation of the community. And honestly, it's hard to imagine building lasting relationships without food. I can't imagine it. Delighting in community and celebration brings us together. This last week, we had our plugged-in family event, uh, and Thursday night was our cookout night. Uh, Did I eat a hamburger and a hot dog? Yes. (laughs) But that time wasn't about food. Rather, food served the community and the celebration. And I had a blast eating and laughing and growing closer to our community of faith. It was a wonderful time. And delighting in community and celebration is also about hospitality. It's about inviting people into the provision of God. Uh, Last October, the the Gospel Coalition wrote a piece about hospitality as the key to evangelism in the 21st century. Riveting read. And to be fair, uh, if you read Luke and Acts, it was also the key to evangelism in the first century as well. You see, because hospitality is this way of welcoming someone you don't know. Maybe a neighbor, maybe someone who doesn't look like you, who isn't in your social circle. But sharing table fellowship breaks down walls, and it's it's part of the reconciling work of God that he calls us into. Hospitality, then, it's about imitating an abundantly hospitable God and inviting others into it. So who could you invite to your table this next week? Community groups, this summer, you should eat together. And maybe even use food as a way to reach your neighbors, your neighborhood. Because throughout the Bible, the table is where the community of Christ is built into unity. So finally, if you want to fight gluttony, then always bring Jesus to the table. Let him be the guest at every meal. And thank him and praise him for the food that he gives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, someone I quote too often, wrote, The congregation of Jesus believes that its Lord wants to be present. So it prays, Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Every mealtime fills Christians with gratitude for the living, present Lord and God, Jesus Christ. Thus we pray before every meal out of gratitude. And there's nothing like gratitude to starve gluttony. So how can you overly crave something when you first stop and thank God for it? Because in the end, then food is no longer an end in itself, but rightly a gift from God. And I know that we don't usually worry about where our next meal is coming from, but every bite is a reminder of God's faithfulness to us. Every meal is a reminder of the joys and the satisfaction, the delights that God promises to us. And maybe, in fact, we should actually not just pray before every meal, but pray before anything we eat. Uh, This is something, in doing this, something I personally want to cultivate. 
uh, because I just, I have this picture in my head of myself, you know, sitting down, eating a bag of chips, uh, like usual, and then stopping to pray. Or, or maybe I'm at work, and that 3 p.m. slump hits, and I reach for that cake that someone left in the office. Thank you for that. But then I stop and pray. And when I imagine that in my mind, it's, it's comical. Because how can I be given over to the appetites when I sincerely turn to God from whom all blessings flow? When I pray, Father, thank you for this food, for making food good, for keeping me alive. Man, never forget that food is good because you are good. So instead of letting food replace God, let food point to God. May the desire we have for the good gift of food be directed to the good God who gave it. Because that's who we need more of today. That's who can actually satisfy. So always bring Christ to the table. For he first invited you to his. To his communion table. And that's what we're going to join in in just a moment. Because the communion, at the communion table, we are invited to recognize our Lord who sacrificed everything for our salvation. Who died for our gluttonous cravings that we might find eternal satisfaction in God. And, and while this meal is somber, and, you know, we often come, we don't make eye contact, things like that, uh, it's also a celebration. It's a celebration that forms our community together. It's why we come in groups. We come to rejoice together in our King and Lord, who we join together to follow. In communion, we also celebrate what's to come, we anticipate the eternal feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb, the time when sin and death are no more and everything is made new. And what a joyous hope. And when we crave that future feast, that satisfaction that only God provides, how can any pleasure on earth hold sway over our hearts? Will you join me in prayer? Father, you are good, and you give good gifts. May your good gifts reflect our dependence on you, because only you can bring the satisfaction that we desire. And we so often look to things instead of looking to you, but Father, search our hearts and make them clean. May the desires of your heart be directed to you and you alone. May we love what you love. May we not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Jesus' name, amen.